0: As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to pray with me. Father in heaven, now we come to this which we know to be um, the very word of God. God breathed, thus we trust that as we read it, it's reliable, trustworthy, um, because you've spoken it. You've used um, our dear brother John to write and to experience that which he writes of, but yet still... We know that this word comes from you, and thus we pray that we would hear it as such. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to the gospel according to John in chapter 20. I want to read verses 24 through 31. John chapter 20, please. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, "We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, "Unless I see his hand in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe." Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him, although the doors were locked. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I'm taking up this particular passage. We've taken it up before, but I'm taking up this particular passage because it comes on the heels of last Sunday, both for them and for us. Uh, last Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday as many of us call it, um, we considered uh, this event where Jesus on that Sunday evening came and appeared uh, before a number of people, certainly the 10 disciples, that is um, his 12 minus Judas and also Midas Thomas, who wasn't there on that occasion, on that evening, uh, plus, uh, some others. Uh, the, the, you we know the two people who were traveling on the road to Emmaus were there. We know that there were some others there, probably the women who had, uh, attended Jesus' tomb. Some of them had seen Jesus. And so, so, a, a number of people were there. Jesus came, uh, to them on, on, on that, uh, on that evening and, and he showed himself to them and he taught them and, uh, and yet, uh, uh, Thomas wasn't there. This Sunday, in the history of the church, the week after, eight days later, as it's counted inclusively in the days of Jesus, that is, they would count that Sunday to the next Sunday and get eight days. We would say seven, they said eight. But the next week, um, uh, we find uh, Jesus uh, coming to them again. And so this Sunday in the history of the church is often referred to as Doubting Thomas Sunday. Now, um, I'm not much for naming Sundays. I mean, they're all pretty much Jesus Sundays. Uh, uh, but when it's called Doubting Thomas Sunday, you get it. You understand this is the, the Sunday after the resurrection where Jesus came and, and Thomas uh, was there as well. And, and so uh, it's called Doubting Thomas Sunday. Not to take any attention really away from the resurrection of Jesus, but rather to put attention onto. The resurrection of Jesus for Doubting Thomas Sunday. Because what was doubted, disbelieved by Thomas, was that Jesus had actually bodily risen. And this was the Sunday, wherein the time wherein uh, Thomas was convinced. You, you remember uh, last week, you remember that occasion. I, I suspect the disciples of Jesus were in hiding, it seems, in this room uh, together. Uh, All the authorities that they had over them, both religious and civil, were against them, it appeared. uh, They had killed, conspired to kill Jesus, their their master. Rumors had it that the disciples had actually stolen the body of Jesus. That's why the tomb was empty, so they could be in trouble for that, if you will. They didn't do it, obviously, but but they could have been in trouble uh, for that as well. So there they were uh, there. During the course of that day, uh, the women who had gone to the tomb... Uh, had found it to be empty, and 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 some of them at least had seen the risen Jesus, and had come back to report to the disciples. Uh, Peter had seen him by that point in time. The Scripture tells us these people who are on the road, traveling to the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, had actually talked with Jesus for quite some time, and finally Jesus was revealed to them. So, so there they were together in that room, as we mentioned. For whatever reason, and I think we'll see the reason in a minute, Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus. Wasn't there that night. But Jesus appeared to them. Now remember. That when Jesus appeared to them. He said to them. Why are you doubting? I mean there he sat. Right in front of them and yet still there was doubts in their minds. They thought they had seen a ghost, a spirit, if you will, who is it looks like Jesus, but it can't be. We saw him die. And and so, even though they had reports they'd been talking about the resurrection of Jesus, uh there he was before them, and still Jesus said, Why do you doubt? And so even to them he said, Look look at these these, these nail prints still in me. Touch me. And then that great expression that we had some fun with last week, but I think resonates with all of us, that they disbelieved for joy. They disbelieved for joy. In other words, it seemed to them, too good to be true, but, but they believed it. But, but how could we believe it? He's been raised from the dead. This is everything that we've wanted, but, but still no category in their brain for this. And there he was before him, they disbelieved for joy. And now, on, on this Sunday, uh, Thomas is there. But, but before that, he, he returns. He returns. must have been that Sunday evening after. They, you don't know, uh, realize the, the excitement of those disciples that had just seen Jesus, the people in that room. And Thomas walks in and they're telling him everything that took place. Now, bear in mind, that my suspicion, at least, is, is that they told Thomas everything. They, they told him what had happened. They, they told him that, that Jesus had showed them the prince in his hands and his side. Uh, that, that, that he had opened their minds to understand uh, everything that was true of him in their sacred scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. So Jesus had walked them through all that. And, and Luke tells us in his account that we read last week that that, that, that Jesus opened their minds To really understand it. So no doubt they're they're flooding Thomas with all this information. And so his response at that point in time. If I could just sort of think it through. Is oh that's well and good for you. But I didn't see it. And so unless he does for me what he did for you. Unless he shows me what he showed you. And I'm not going to believe. Now in a sense it took that. For these other disciples to believe. Jesus was sitting there, they thought they'd seen a spirit, and then they, they looked, and Jesus said, Why are you still doubting? Here, look. Well, Thomas is saying, isn't he? Simply, whatever they did, whatever he did for you, he needs to do for me, so that I can believe too, in that sense, right? Now we don't know very much about Thomas. In the scripture, really. In fact, all that we know about Thomas really Is what John tells us. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all we have in terms of Thomas uh, is his name listed with the other disciples of Jesus. It's it's all we have. But but John, as he's writing this out, anticipating where he's headed, I trust, in in earlier chapters of John, uh, speaks to us some uh, of Thomas. For instance, in chapter 11... Of John's gospel, there's Lazarus. A the report comes that Lazarus is sick, and he ultimately dies. And Jesus, you remember, delays in going to visit his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus in Bethany. He delays a while, and, and while he delays, Lazarus dies. And, and it's dangerous for Jesus to go up to Bethany because just right before then, the Jewish authorities were conspiring to kill Jesus, to stone him. And so everybody knows that it's, it's a dangerous time for Jesus. And, and so then Jesus decides he's going to go up to Bethany where his friends are and where Lazarus now is, has died. And the disciples then wonder, what should we do? And Thomas says, let's go with him so we can die with him too. If you get a sense about this guy, he's willing to risk his life for whatever he understands Jesus to be at that time. He, he's willing to risk his life to go there and die. And then later, when Jesus was, is with his disciples and, and, and right before his crucifixion, that night before his crucifixion, and he's with his disciples, Thomas asks a question that leads to one of the greatest statements We have from the lips of Jesus. Jesus begins that night with his disciples and he says, he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And and don't worry because I'm going to prepare this place. Then I'm going to come back for you. I'm going to take you to be with me. And you know where I'm going. Well, Thomas says, we don't, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus responds. What would have happened if Thomas not asked this question? Now Jesus responds, but I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you know the Father because you've seen him. Philip says, no, we haven't. <laughs> we haven't seen the Father. And Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, in one sense, it doesn't tell us very much about Thomas's personality. We can over-psychologize him at this point by these two little incidents. And so I don't want to do that. But he seems a bit, matter of fact, he seems a bit like, you know, cut through all of it and, and let's just get down to it. And, and so, so, so now here he is with the other disciples uh, who've seen Jesus and, and, and seen and touched him. And, and he's simply saying, all right, I need to, too. And, and so unless I see these, 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 these prints, really. Now, uh, traditionally, you know, Thomas has been used to, to kind of uh, validate our own doubts. Because we say, well, here's one who traveled with Jesus and, and still he doubted. And, and I certainly appreciate that. In fact, in the New International Version, uh, which is a fine rendering of, this, of the text, um, it, it reads, uh, Jesus says to him, stop doubting and believe. The sense of doubt. And we understand that. We understand the reality of, of doubting. Some of us, by simply nature of our temperaments, find believing more difficult for whatever reason. I mean, some are just temperamentally uh, um, prone to struggle with assurance. Is this really true? I believe it, but yet, right? And other times it could simply be, be circumstances, particular circumstances in our lives that make belief more, more difficult. I mean, the psalmist in Psalm 42 uh, says, uh, my, my tears cry to me all day long. Where is your God? There are times when we know that. When the sadness of life, the difficulties of life, the circumstances of life are such that our tears cry out to us and we wonder, where is God? You remember John the Baptist. I mean, there's John the Baptist who, who, when he was in his mother's womb, leapt for joy, the scripture says, when Mary walked into the room while she was carrying Jesus in hers. And so, okay, that's... He was pretty much in tune to who this Jesus person was, I would suspect. And then when when Jesus comes to be baptized, he recognizes he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But when John was in prison, he sent his disciples to Jesus' disciples with the question, Are you really the one? Right? Circumstances can cause us to wonder. And we know that. But if I could say it like this, I don't think that John is relating this incident to us necessarily to assuage our own doubting or to to give us something to resonate. It sort of does, but but I don't really think that's his point. I think there's something else about this that he wants us really, wants us really to see, right? Because again, Thomas wasn't... uh, uh, really asking for anything else other than what the others had 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 gotten, and it does seem to be to be true that there's there's real disbelief here. Yes, it's stunning, but but he's saying, but Jesus even says, him, "Don't disbelieve. Don't act like an unbeliever. But but actually believe uh, when he comes to him and he says uh, that you've that you've really that you've really seen it." Because I I don't think this was an unreasonable demand. Now, it would be an unreasonable demand for you and me to say, I'm not going to believe until I actually see the nail prints and touch them. That would be unreasonable because Jesus has ascended. But it was reasonable for, for Thomas to ask that because that's what Jesus was doing during this time. I mean, it was—it seemed like it was—it was kind of happening that Jesus was appearing and showing himself to people during this time. It had happened to the, with the women. It happened to Peter. It happened to the other disciples. It happened to the people on the road to Emmaus, and, and it would continue to happen. Uh, we'd have reports. Paul would report uh, in First Corinthians that 500 people saw Jesus at one time. So it wasn't an uncommon occurrence for Jesus to appear and to show himself. To people, Uh, once ascended, it is an uncommon occurrence. Now, sometimes we do place demands on Jesus. I'll believe in you, you know, if I win the lottery. Or I'll believe in you if I pass my comps. I'll believe in you, you know, if I find a wife before graduation. That's happening a lot right now. That prayer, I think, is happening right now. Uh, I'll believe in you if you heal my grandfather. I'll believe in you if, right? All of that now i would say those are unreasonable because we're not led to expect that god will jump through those hoops for us but it wasn't unreasonable for thomas to say well show me because that's what was happening not only that it, it, he was an apostle he was one of jesus' disciples i mean he was he was just like those others that got to see him so again this simply seems to me makes sense that he would make this what appears to be demand, but request? At least it seems, though a little brass, doesn't it? I mean, you'd want to say, "Why would your friends lie to you? Why can't you just believe this, Thomas?" Or, or, or think about who Jesus was. Remember the whole Lazarus thing. You were there. You were willing to die with Jesus. You went with him, and and yet, um, he raised Jesus. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So, 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 so. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember the time he said he had the authority to lay down his life and to pick it back up again? Don't you remember the time he said, he, yes, he was going to go to Jerusalem and be killed, but he would be raised on the third day. So, don't, do, so what's his point? What's his point really? Well, I think first this, I think the reason John relates this to us is he wants us to get to Thomas's profession of faith. He wants us to get to that point. This verse 29. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. I, I think that's where John wants us to get. He wants us to see that that's, that's it. That, that's what it means to believe, to recognize who Jesus is, to be able to make that profession my Lord and my and my God. What, what an amazing thing for a Jew to say who knows That the Lord our God is one who knows that you'd have no other gods before him. And to look at Jesus and say, my God. What a profound statement. You know, I've often wondered, why didn't he just say, oh, Jesus, you're alive. Or whoops. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't have been so, you know, unbelieving. This is really true, but he he does, he says this profound, this profound statement. You know, he had a whole week to ponder this. I mean, you can only imagine, and again, this is speculation, but you can only imagine Thomas, he's thinking, oh, my friends got to see Jesus, but I didn't. I wonder why. Why didn't Jesus come when, when he knew I was going to be there? Why did he come when he, he probably knew I wasn't going to be there? So what's up with this? And, and to begin to ponder this through, could what they're telling me really be true? I mean, the, 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 the women seem to believe it. I mean, they saw it. The, the, the people on the road to Emmaus saw it. They, they saw it. Why, why not me? And, and then begin to think it through and, and, and have the other disciples, no doubt talk to him about what Jesus had talked to them about. And, and to think back to that expression. Where Jesus did indeed say. That if you've seen me. You've seen the father. What's he saying about himself? What's he saying about himself? And God. It appears as if. He's saying that he's God. Could that really be true? Well it can only be true if he's alive. It can't be true if he's dead still. But, but uh, how could that really be true? And, and then perhaps thinking back of some other things that, that Jesus had said. For instance, uh, John has this recorded in, in John in chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. You have this sense that Jesus is identifying himself as closely as one could ever imagine with the father, with God. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you honor me, you're honoring the father. You're honoring God. If you honor the father, you're honoring me. And you begin to think, what's he, what's he, what's he saying? And then you remember that occasion where he was with the Pharisees and they were talking about the fact that they were children of Abraham and Jesus was disputing that point, at least how he understood that. And he made this statement. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, they could have corrected his grammar. But he was making a real statement. How could he be before Abraham? Abraham was centuries before. Here's Jesus right now. He's saying he existed before Abraham and then he's saying before Abraham was I am the name of God he's saying he's eternal that's what he's saying here and then on another occasion he says I and the father are one Who who talks like that how could that be true Thomas thinking back through all of this and then no doubt thinking through that occasion in the life of Jesus that stunned everyone. You, you remember there was... Jesus was in a house and he was preaching and teaching and healing, no doubt. And, and there was a, some people who had a friend who was couldn't walk and he was on a mat on a bed. And so they wanted to bring him to Jesus. And so they brought him to the house. The house was full. They couldn't get in. So they went up on the roof and they dug a hole. And they lowered him down. And, uh, and, and, and the man is there... Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And there's a bit of a dispute about all of that, forgiving sins. And that Jesus says, so that you will know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, take up your mat and walk. And then there's this big buzz with the religious leaders because they're thinking... Only God can forgive sins. And so they realized that Jesus was making himself out to be God. Because only God can really forgive sins. Simon Wiesenthal Wiesenthal, was a young man in a concentration camp in Nazi Germany in his teens, late teens. And he was, he, was, he was working there as the other Jewish captives were there on a work gang, if you will, work crew. And he was summoned by the authorities in Auschwitz to come to the hospital because there was a young, severely wounded German soldier uh, dying. And the young, wounded, dying German soldier had asked the authorities to bring in a representative Jewish man so that he could, the dying German, ask forgiveness. And so the... the, the, the the, this young German soldier, 19 years old, this young German soldier uh, poured out his heart to, to, to Simon and, and he, he confessed the sins of his fellow Nazis and his own atrocities against the Jewish people. And he simply asked to be forgiven. And the reasons I th- sat there is this young man sat there, he says, quietly, silently, thinking it through, not knowing what he should say. And he began to ponder this question. Can I, as a representative Jew, can I really forgive him? And he began to think, no, the only people that can forgive him are the people to whom uh, these atrocities were put. They're the only people who can really forgive him. I can only forgive for what someone did to me. They can only forgive what someone did to them. And they're dead. And so he came to the conclusion that the Nazis couldn't be forgiven because those who would forgive them were dead. And so he said, without saying a word, he simply got up and left. Now, that that whole incident plagued him through the course of his life. And and as he reflected back on his experiences, as many who lived during that time did, he wrote about it and became quite well-known, of course, as an academic and so forth. In his life, but he wrote a book called "The Sunflower. I forget this, uh, the subtitle. It's about forgiveness." And so he wrote up this story, and then he sent it out to ethicists throughout the country, throughout the world, and asked them to, to respond to it. Did he do the right thing, or should have he forgiven this person, or did he have the right to, did he do the right thing with this? And, and many weighed in on it, some uh, religious people, a few Christians and others, of course. But, but the point is that in one sense, he had it right, he couldn't. But but, but this is what he missed, and that is that God can. Because all sin is ultimately against God. And that was the point that Jesus was making. I have the authority to forgive sins on earth. Why? Because I'm God and because I can do this. Because you've sinned against me. Because my command is to love God and to love one another. When you break that, as we all do, as you break that, then You've sinned against me. I, I can forgive you. Even David, you remember when he was confessing his grievous sins, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. Now, we know that wasn't technically true. He had sinned against Bathsheba and our husband and the country and all of that by his sins. But we get the point of it. We know David's heart there that ultimately... We've sinned against God. And so that's what they noticed. And I wonder if that didn't go through Thomas's mind during the course of that week. What was Jesus really saying about himself to lead him to be able to make this great confession? Not that, oh, Jesus, you're alive. I get it. I see it. But my Lord and my, and my God. I wonder if during this time that, that his fellow disciples didn't walk him through the Old Testament as Jesus had walked them through the Old Testament and, and showed to them uh, Jesus and This is wondrous uh, expression in Isaiah chapter 9. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government there shall be no end. He shall reign on David's throne forever. It would only be true if Jesus was alive. And so now you see, Jesus comes to Peter and says, Here I am. Put your fingers in the holes. Now I know what's interesting about all this is that John doesn't say whether Thomas did it or not. He just says, he, he, he blurts out, my Lord and my God. Uh, uh, I suspect he did. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. The point is he got it. The point is he understood. But notice how personal all of this. He just didn't say the Lord and the God. But he said mine. Right? So at that point in time, he knew he was convinced. He knew who Jesus was. And that was a real sense of submission, a real sense of worship. So what about us? I mean, why is this here? Why does John labor to put this here uh, for us? What's the point? Well, A, to get to Thomas's profession so we know what that is. But what then, is, is there another point? Is there a point for us more than just, oh, yeah, sometimes we doubt? I think... The point is this. How is it that we really do come to believe? If we don't get these personal appearances from Jesus, as Thomas did, how then do we believe? Notice how Jesus puts it. He says, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Have believed. Now, that sounds, I suppose it does to me anyway, on first reading as a bit of a rebuke to to Thomas. Well, Thomas, you had to see it to believe. but, But those who don't have to see it and believe, they're really the ones with superior faith, if you will. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. I don't necessarily think it was a rebuke. Because again, Jesus came and readily showed himself To all of them. I don't think it was a rebuke in that sense. And I don't think that those who come to believe without literally seeing the marks on Jesus. Have a superior faith. uh, To those who who had to see it. It isn't that we believe in spite of evidence. Some of you know this show from. When it was first on, some of you know it through reruns, and perhaps none of us should know it at all. But that show, all in the family, who had the curmudgeon Archie Bunker, who was the key character. But I only say that to say one time he, as I remember as a kid, he 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 defined faith as that which no one in their right mind would ever believe. You see, that's faith. That isn't faith at all. It's what everybody in their right mind would believe. Right? <laughs> And it's not in spite of evidence. There really is evidence. Thomas got evidence. He got it right up front uh, with Jesus. So, so what about, if you will, what about the rest of us? Well, John goes on to tell us about the rest of us. Verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, listen, I'm a witness to this. And so I wrote it down, and I'm ve- and you know John was very selective of what he wrote down. And depending on how you count days, he only accounted for 21 or 22 days in the life of Jesus. In fact, chapters 13 through 19 take less than 24 hours. So it's a you know not even a 24-hour time period in, in in all of those seven chapters there. And so he's very selective. And he's selective enough, he says, this is evidence. This is why I wrote this. This is why I'm an apostle, why I exist, if you will. To write this down so that you can believe this is the evidence that we now have post-ascension. The evidence that we have is the evidence of witnesses. Their testimony to that which took place. And that's just as much a blessing have that witness testimony as seeing Jesus visually, up close, and personal. So you see, he says, John does, I wrote these things down that you might believe. If you read through the Gospel of John, for instance, you find signs. The first sign is this this turning of water into wine by Jesus and the disciples see his, see his glory. The second sign is this, 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 this official, Roman official, royal official, whose son is, is dying and he comes to Jesus and he says, my son is dying and Jesus says, go home, he's well. And so as he's going home, uh, uh, the, the, his, his servants come to him, to this royal official, and they say, your son is better. And he says, when did that happen? And he realized it happened exactly when Jesus said, Your son as well. And then there's that man who's been sick for all those 38 years by the pool, and and he he wants the tradition has it that that if you, if you, when the waters are stirred, if you can get into the pool, then you'll be healed. And he's been there all this time, and Jesus comes to him and says, Do you want to get better? And I think the guy scratches his head and goes, Why do you think I'm here? And so Jesus says, Well, then walk. Who is this? Who is this man? And he does it on the Sabbath, and so the religious leaders get uptight about that. And Jesus says, well, my father's working, and I'm working. And they said, who does this man think he is to make himself equal? To make himself equal with God. And then there's that time when all those people were hungry, thousands of them. Jesus feeds them with just a little bit of food so that he can show that he's the bread of life. And he walks on water. Right? He walks on water. And then there's this man born blind. And so, so Jesus heals him so he can show that he's the light of the world. And, and then Lazarus is dead and he raises him so that he can show that he's the resurrection and the life. And so John says, I wrote these signs so that you'll know that Jesus really is the Christ. And there's life by believing upon him in his, into his life. His name. And you see, these apostles then were to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. Thomas was one of them, and he was a witness of the resurrection of Jesus. In Acts chapter 10, I read this last Sunday, not that you'll remember that, but Acts chapter 10, as Peter is preaching, he, he says this, verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses. Who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him and re- believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Peter says, "We're eyewitnesses. we got to see it. That's why Thomas got to see it. He would be an eyewitness. And he would buy an eyewitness so then he could see it and he could make the right declaration that's affirmed by Jesus. And Jesus would say, oh, by the way, almost everybody else who believes in me won't see me. But they'll believe. Because you've told them. They'll be able to know that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's our testimony, isn't it? We believe that we haven't seen. And why do we believe? Because the Spirit of God, working by his word, has convinced us. So that we can, with the Apostle Peter... Resonate with these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The means by which we believe isn't seeing, but hearing, hearing the witness, hearing the testimony of those who saw that we might believe. Let's pray, Father. Pray for me and for us that you would grant to us this assurance. Again, the same assurance that Thomas had when he felt the prince in Your hands and feet, Jesus. And the other disciples too. When when they saw it, when they touched it. They saw it, they touched it. For us. So that they could report it to us. So that your spirit could take what they report to us. And work it in us. Give us eyes to see. Believe. The trust. I pray, God, for me, for us, that we put no other demands upon you in revealing yourself other than what we have in the Scripture. And we'll read it and listen to it. Believe it. Take it. That you grant to us through it assurance. Just Jesus has risen thus. Jesus is the Christ thus. He is my Lord and my God. There is forgiveness of sins by believing upon him. There is reconciliation with God by believing upon him. There is peace from God and with God from believing upon Him. There is eternal life from believing upon Him. There is strength and help in time of need by believing upon Him. There is confidence. There is assurance that a day will come when all will be made right. Because he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because he is the Lord. He is God. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take this word of God in the scripture and make it into us real. Enabling us to believe Causing us to walk with you. Pray that be true for for us on good days. Days that we look at and say, these are happy days. And, and we can look at these days that, that, that are filled with pleasure and satisfaction and, and all of that. And, and we can say, thank you, God. And then, Lord, on those days that aren't like that. On the days of difficulty. On the days of bad news. On the days of trouble. On the days of pain. On the days of conflict on the days of difficulty we pray that we can from your word receive deep and complete assurance that you God are with us that you God will help us that you God receive us and that we are reconciled to you enable us to trust we pray for those who are in difficulties in marriage relationships those who are lonely those who are sick those who are financially in difficulty those who are simply confused about life and perhaps to what's to come and the rest of it those who feel as if there isn't purpose and we pray that you would grant them by your word and spirit all that they need to live Father, we pray for those who do not believe. We pray that you would reveal yourself to them by your word, empowered by your spirit. Perhaps it's our word that we use as we speak the truth to others, that you will use in such a way that will draw people to yourself. Perhaps it's, it's the words of, of a book or another who, who rely upon the scripture, who, who lay out this truth. And, and so, Father, perhaps it's that. And so I pray that you would cause others to hear this word and believe in our own church, in our own community, in our own state, in our country, and throughout the world by the way we as a church be used by you to draw others to Jesus, even as we speak the word of truth. And this I pray in Jesus' name.